Let's open our Bibles this afternoon to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, If he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just, he shall surely live, says the Lord God. If he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, and does none of those duties, but has eaten on the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife, if he has oppressed the poor and needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted his eyes to the idols, or committed abomination, if he has exacted usury or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. If, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains nor lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone nor withheld a pledge nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. 
he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, it is not is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Growing up in a God-fearing home is a tremendous blessing. When dad and mom live for Christ and desire to honor him, the children, although they may not realize it at the time, receive many benefits. When the word of God is read and discussed, when prayers are offered up and songs of praise sung in the home, the children have a wonderful atmosphere in which to grow. A Christ-like example in the home is very precious. To have believing parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents is an amazing privilege. Conversely, growing up in an ungodly home can be a very sad experience. When dad and mom do not live for Christ and honor him, the children can endure much pain. When dad and mom are self-centered, when they neglect the word, prayer, and the church, when they neglect to instruct their children in the gospel, when they fail to demonstrate true biblical love in the home, the children can undergo many sorrows. But congregation, the Bible teaches that the quality of your home does not automatically or inevitably determine your eternal destiny. You may have the most godly, wise, Christ-like, righteous parents in the world. But if you turn away from the Lord and the message of the cross, you will perish. 
Or you may have the most wicked, godless, Christ-hating parents in the world. But if you reject their unrighteous ways and turn to the Lord, you will be saved. Godly parents cannot carry you into heaven. And ungodly parents cannot drag you into hell. You are not saved because of your parents' faith, and you are not damned by your parents' unbelief. Whether your parents are godly or ungodly, at the final judgment, you will have to answer for what kind of a person you are. The question will be, have you embraced the word of God and the gospel of Christ? Have you received the promises? Do you possess genuine trust in Jesus Christ? Have you turned from sin and received by faith his perfect righteousness? Your eternity is not determined by your parents' faith or lack of faith. Rather, your eternity is determined by how you yourself respond to the gospel. This is the message that we find in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel. The Lord holds each one of us personally responsible for our actions. This chapter emphasizes individual accountability. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Ezekiel said, The soul who sins shall die, therefore turn and live. Today from chapter 18, we want to consider first the blame-shifting proverb in Israel. And second, a heart-penetrating response. A blame-shifting proverb. In verses 1 and 2, we read that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel again, saying, look with me please to verse 2. Verse 2. What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? When Ezekiel dwelt among the captives by the river Chebar in Babylon, there arose a proverb that became rather popular among the people. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As the people groaned in captivity, they began to reflect upon the reason for being there. And many of them concluded that they were being punished for the sins of their ancestors. Their fathers had been disobedient, and they were now being punished. Their fathers were rebellious and had broken covenant with God, and they were suffering the consequences. Now, congregation, I want you to notice, first of all, that this proverb contained a measure of truth. This proverb contained a measure of truth. We read in the second commandment of the Decalogue that the Lord does visit the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Children do experience the negative effects of their parents' sin. God does visit the sin of one generation on another. Children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren suffer when a family turns away from the Lord. Apostasy can have long-term, long-lasting consequences. We see this worked out in our own society, don't we? The son, often the son of an abusive husband, will become an abusive husband. 
Sometimes a son of a drunkard will become a drunkard. The second generation often reflects the values and practices of the previous generation. Children frequently grow up imitating the conduct of their parents. A father who is financially irresponsible often produces a son who is financially irresponsible. A father who is sexually perverse often produces a son who is sexually perverse. A father who lives for pleasure often produces a son who lives for pleasure. A father who has little or no commitment to the church often produces a son who has little or no commitment to the church. There is no question that children often repeat what they see their parents doing and are certainly affected by their parents' sin. And so the proverb that was quoted in Israel contained a measure of truth. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The fact that these people of Judah were in captivity in Babylon was partially due to the sins of their fathers. The Lord said in 2 Kings 21 verse 13, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. The exile in Babylon was the final result of disobedience from generation to generation. The cup of iniquity continued to fill up until finally God said, enough. The sin of many generations was the cause of the exile. But brothers and sisters, while the proverb of verse 2 contained a measure of truth, it also contained a great deal of falsehood. By saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, the people in exile were saying that their fathers were the cause of their misery. They were essentially denying their own guilt and failing to face their own responsibility, shifting the blame to their fathers, excusing themselves and pointing their finger at their ancestors. You might say they were doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden when God confronted them with their sin. Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. Instead of facing their responsibility, they blamed someone else. Adam blamed his wife, and his wife blamed the devil. That is basically what the exiles were doing in Babylon blaming previous generations for their problems. They concluded that their forefathers were at fault. They were not responsible for the hardships of the exile and the disasters that had come upon them. They had simply inherited the pro their problems from the previous generation. All the problems that they faced were problems that the previous generation had generated. Sometimes we find a similar approach in modern psychology, modern counseling. Sigmund Freud, who has been called the father of modern psychology, popularized the idea that man is not responsible for what he does. The key to understanding and correcting a person's attitude and actions lies somewhere in that person's past. Your problems are the result of what someone else has done to you, your parents, your grandparents, your church. Freud said that you had to explore your past. As you explore your past, you discover that your problems are somebody else's fault. 
through Freud, the whole idea of personal responsibility was destroyed. All our problems are somebody else's fault. Somebody else did something to you that is the cause of your present predicament. Perhaps you had an overbearing mother, or you had a stern and harsh father. Perhaps you had a difficult childhood. Freud made blame shifting perfectly acceptable, and he promoted the idea of non-responsibility. Well, congregation, we see from Ezekiel 18 that blame shifting is something that God does not sanction. Of course, many of us have unfortunate situations in our past, and some of us have horrific things in our past, and I don't mean to minimize the impact and the pain of that whatsoever. But God calls his people to acknowledge our own guilt and to take personal responsibility for our actions. Yes, it was true that previous generations had disobeyed and provoked God's wrath. Their unfaithfulness had led to the current exile in Babylon. Nevertheless, God called them to stop blaming their parents and start facing up to their own responsibility. And so I want us to move secondly to a heart-penetrating response to the proverb. A heart-penetrating response. Follow along with me, please, in your Bibles at verse 3. Verse 3. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. God said, I don't want to use this proverb anymore. Stop pointing your finger at your forefathers. Instead, I want you to focus on yourself. The soul who sins shall die. If your fathers have sinned, they will have to give account for their actions. But if you live in sin, then you will have to give account for your actions. I will judge the souls of all men, and the soul who sins shall die. Then, in verses 5 through 9, the Lord sets forth some of the things that he expects from his people. And if they observe them, they will live. They will not die, they will live. Verse 5. He expects his people to do what is lawful according to the law. Verse 6. He expects his people to avoid false religions. You see that there. Eating on the mountains refers to sacrificial meals at places of false worship. The Lord expects his people to stay away from these places of idolatry. He requires that his people honor the first and second commandments. Also, verse 6. God expects his people to avoid lust and sexual immorality. He requires that his people honor the seventh commandment. Continue on. He wants his people, verse 7, he wants his people to practice generosity as opposed to oppression, cheating, or theft. He calls his people to honor the sixth and eighth commandment. Verse 8, he expects his people to live honestly, decently, and impartially. And then look at verse 9. It sums it all up with these words. Verse 9, 
If he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just, he shall surely live, says the Lord God. The person who honors God's law, keeps his decrees, and walks in his commandments shall live. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. Now, brothers and sisters, are verses 5 through 9 advocating works righteousness? Of course not. When we compare these verses with the rest of Scripture, we know that God is not suggesting salvation, that salvation is by works. We should understand these verses in a similar way that we understand the New Testament epistle of James. The Lord is telling the Jews in exile that those who are right with God will produce true fruits of righteousness. They will desire to honor his law. They want to live like the sinless one, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Those who possess true faith will perform genuine works of righteousness. True faith manifests itself in a desire to obey the law. What did James say in chapter 2, verse 17? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Lord was telling the exiles in Babylon that if they wanted life, if they wanted salvation, they had to possess true saving faith. And true saving faith is always demonstrated by a desire to keep the law. There is no true faith where there are no true works of righteousness. Faith without works is dead. If you love me, keep my commandments. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, we read it this morning, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is the will of God that his people be characterized by righteous works. God's people must live like we are God's people. The Jews in exile were suggesting that the cause of their misery was the sins of their fathers. But the Lord said to them, you had better examine your own life. Do you avoid idolatry? Do you resist sexual immorality? Do you avoid oppression, cheating, and theft? Do you practice generosity and compassion? Do you live honestly, decently, and impartially? Do you walk in my statutes and keep my judgments? If you do, you shall surely live. If not, the soul who sins shall die. Verses 10 through 18. The Lord set forth a few potential situations concerning the next generation. First, verses 10 to 13, if a righteous man begets a son who is a robber, a murderer, an idolater, or an adulterer, a lawbreaker, then the son shall not live. Even though his parents are righteous and faithful, the ungodly son shall not live. He will die for his own sins. The father's righteousness will not save him. The son will be held accountable for his own actions. Second, verse 14, if an evil father begets a wise and honest son who lives by God's law, if the son sees all the sins which his father has done and chooses not to walk in his father's footsteps, the son shall live. Verse 15, 
The end of verse 17 says, He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Verse 18 says that the father will have to give account for his evil actions and he shall die in his iniquity. But if his son does not imitate his father's evil conduct, the son shall surely live. What God is saying in these verses is that each generation is fully responsible for their own actions and each person will receive from the Lord what is right. An ungodly son will not be saved by godly parents. Neither will a godly son be condemned because of ungodly parents. Congregation, think about this for a moment. For the captives in Babylon, these words should have been received as a warning for some and as an encouragement for others. For those who were not living by the word, the message was repent or perish. The soul who sins shall die. But for those who acknowledge the sins of their fathers and chose not to walk down the same path, the message was, you shall not die for the iniquity of your fathers. You shall surely live. Brothers and sisters, don't these words also speak to us today? And don't they bring the same message of either warning or encouragement? If you had parents who raised you in the ways of God, parents who have lived a godly example before you and taught you the word, then do not depart from it or you will die. That's the warning. You will die. How tragic it is when a son or daughter rejects the godly instruction of the parents. How heartbreaking it is when they live their own life in their own way by their own rules. David was a believing king, but he had sons who were rebellious and unfaithful. Josiah was a godly king, but he had sons who were terribly wayward. Hezekiah was a devout king, but his son Manasseh was filled with wickedness. Jotham was a God-fearing king, but his son Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Eli was a very godly priest, but his sons were extremely wicked and corrupt. Samuel was amazing, but his sons were greedy, took bribes, and perverted justice. How heartrending it is when children reject the godly admonition and example of their parents. Such a son or daughter is extremely short-sighted. Extremely short-sighted. The Lord says, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. A rebellious son or daughter will not be saved by the faith of his or her parents. But then, congregation, these words contain not only a warning, but also an encouragement. If you have parents who were not committed to Christ... If they scorned his word, his church, his message of salvation, his cross, or if they lived openly sinful lives. If your father was a blasphemer and your mother a prostitute. If your father was a criminal and a cheat and your mother a gambler or and a deceiver. If your parents were hostile to the Christian faith and defied the law of God, whatever they may be. 
The Lord says, you have an opportunity to start afresh. An opportunity to escape the sins of former generations, break away from their pattern of rebellion, and be saved. That is such an encouragement for those who were raised in unfaithful homes. God doesn't condemn you and send you to hell for your parents' sin. The Lord says, turn from their sin and you will live. Their actions do not determine your destiny. If you reject their way of disobedience, put your trust in the faithful one, Jesus Christ, and seek to live for God's honor, you will be blessed. How wonderful it is when a son or daughter chooses not to walk in the sins of the parents and follow their unrighteous example. We find illustrations of this in Scripture, don't we? King Saul was a covenant breaker. He turned away from the Lord and became troubled by a distressing spirit. By the way he treated David and sought to murder him, Saul showed himself to be unrighteous, unbelieving, and unrepentant. The gospel was absent from his heart and mind. But then we follow the life of his son, Jonathan. Jonathan loved the Lord and loved David, his anointed. He refused to participate in his father's sin. Instead, he assisted David, encouraged him, entered into a covenant with him, and submitted himself entirely to the will of God. Jonathan decisively broke away from the sins of his father, and we have every reason to believe that he was received by the Lord. God did not send him to hell for his father's sin. Consider also... Josiah, son of Ammon and grandson of King Manasseh. Manasseh, as you probably remember, was a covenant breaker. He filled Jerusalem with idols, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He set up an Asherah in the house of the Lord and even offered his own son to pagan gods. His conduct provoked the Lord to anger. By the grace of God, Manasseh repented after he was disciplined and afflicted by the Lord. But when he died, his son Ammon took the throne and continued to do evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father had made, and he did not humble himself before the Lord. Scripture says he trespassed more and more. But then we read of his son, Josiah. Josiah saw all the sins which his father and grandfather had committed, but instead of following the pattern set by Manasseh and Ammon, amazingly, he walked according to the statutes of the Lord. He cleansed the temple, destroyed the images, restored true worship, and reinstituted the celebration of the Passover. Josiah resolutely broke away from the sins of his father and grandfather and was richly blessed of the Lord. God did not send him to hell for his father's sin. And so it is also today. If you have parents that are not right with God, the Lord says to you, do not imitate their conduct. 
Turn away from their sin. Turn to Christ and you shall surely live. Congregation, I can hardly imagine what some people have to endure in their homes. Those who work at crisis pregnancy centers can tell you story after story after story of physical and sexual abuse, drunkenness, drug use, violence, brutality, shouting matches, incest, you name it. But the message of Ezekiel is that each new generation has an opportunity to repent. Whatever your past may be, God says, come to me. Believe the gospel of Christ. Receive my promises. Believe my word. Turn away from your parents' sins and you shall surely live. As horrible as our past may be, we cannot blame our parents or grandparents for our conduct. If we're condemned on the day of judgment, we cannot point our finger at them. The Lord says each must answer for his own life. If you turn to me, you shall surely live. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Well, in verses 19 and following, we see how the prophet continues to emphasize this theme of personal responsibility. Verse 19 records an objection on the part of Ezekiel's audience. Please follow along in your Bibles at verse 19. Verse 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? It seems the people in exile still believe that they were there because of their father's sin. They were not prepared to admit the fact that they were suffering because of their own sin. Therefore the Lord, through the prophet, said in verse 19 that the son who does what is lawful and right and keeps God's statutes shall live. In other words, never mind what your fathers did. You do what is lawful and right. Go to verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Again, Ezekiel maintained that their acceptance or rejection by God was not based upon what others had done or not done, but it was based upon their own personal response to God. If a wicked man turns from his sin and repents, verse 22... None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. And so congregation, the Lord, through the prophet, was calling the people in captivity to examine themselves, to turn from their sin, and to receive the free pardoning grace of God. He was urging them to follow the way that leads to life, confession, repentance, and restoration. In verse 23, the Lord assured them that he had no desire to see the wicked die in their sins. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? He takes no pleasure in condemning his covenant people. The many words of judgment in the book of Ezekiel are not given because the Lord enjoys punishing and destroying them. 
He does not by any means desire the death of the wicked. Rather, the Lord takes pleasure in those who turn from their perverse ways and live. You know, when you read the first several chapters of Ezekiel, you might get the the idea that the Lord is only a God of wrath. A God who is angry with his people and determined to destroy them. Some might almost conclude that God delights in their destruction. But congregation, nothing could be further from the truth. The Lord does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes great pleasure in those who turn and live. Verse 23 reminds me, and perhaps it reminds you as well, maybe you've been thinking about this already, but the words of verse 23 remind me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 23 when he cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The compassionate heart of our Savior is revealed in his lament over Jerusalem. And that same heart of compassion is revealed here in verse 23. The Lord desires that his people turn to him with all their hearts so that they may live. And the Lord desires more than a temporary confession or a short-lived righteousness. He wants his people to embrace him with a pure heart. Verse 24 mentions a righteous man who turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and departs from his confession. Shall he live? No. The Lord says such a person will die. His righteousness shall not be remembered, and he shall die. The people of Judah in captivity responded by saying, verse 25, that's not fair. The way of the Lord is not fair. If Mr. Smith has been a faithful church member for 40 years and then forsakes the faith at the end of his life, are you saying that all his righteous works amount to nothing? Zilch? That's not fair. Furthermore, verse 27, if Mr. Johnson has lived in sin for 80 years and then turns away from his wickedness at the end of his life, are you saying that all his wickedness will be forgotten and Mr. Johnson will be forgiven? That's not fair. Lord, that's not fair. The way of the Lord is not fair. Congregation, one of the things many of the people in exile failed to see was the true nature of grace. They fail to understand that salvation is completely undeserved. It is not earned through an accumulation of merits, but rather salvation is by faith in the Son of God, the only righteous one. Therefore the Lord said to them, O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are unfair. For you to understand true repentance and the nature of grace, what you need, O house of Israel, is a new heart and a new spirit. Verse 31b. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit, for why should you die, O house of Israel? 
God said to the exiles was the same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To truly turn from sin, you must have a new heart and a new spirit. Brothers and sisters, what the exiles in Babylon needed is the very thing that sinners need also today. Being a faithful church member, being a faithful church member for 30, 40, 50, 60 years will not earn your acceptance with God. Being the son or daughter of a fine Christian or a fine elder will not win your acceptance. And blaming someone else for your condition will not win the sympathy of God. You need the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand free grace. You need genuine faith in Jesus. You need to repent of your sin, trust the blood of the cross, and live a life of thankfulness for all that Christ has done. You need to cast away from you all your transgressions, verse 31, and receive God's remedy for the problem of evil. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Dear friends, that should be the message that is heard continually in various ways in our covenant homes. My son, my daughter, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus and live. Live eternally with him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the compassion that comes through in this chapter, reminding us of Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Lord, that heart of compassion comes through here in the message of Ezekiel. We pray that each and every one here would consider their own heart and their own attitude and their own lifestyle as to whether or not they are displaying the fruits of genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We recognize, Lord, the tremendous blessings of godly homes. But Lord, it's a powerful reminder for everyone that the faith of our parents isn't going to bring us into the kingdom of heaven ultimately. As wonderful as that may be, And Lord, in ungodly homes, the unbelief of parents will not ultimately drag us into hell. Each one of us is called to that trust in the righteous one, the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. 
We pray that each person here this afternoon would consider their own life. Stop blaming others. Take that personal responsibility, turning away from sin, turning to Christ, and receiving the joy and the message, He shall live. So Lord, will you do your mighty work in us, and then will you do a mighty work through us. And may we proclaim your gospel to others so that others may live. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that all the miserable circumstances of our past can be put away as we put our faith in Jesus and begin living our life for him. We recognize, Lord, that many still feel the wounds and pain of the past. We're living in a broken world. But Lord, may that not in any way give us excuse to live our lives in an unrighteous manner. But rather, may we turn to you and live. Receive our praises as we conclude this service.